0: Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Welcome to another episode of Something for the Turbo. I hope you're all well wherever you're listening in the world. I know it's difficult for so many people around the world at the moment. More challenging times, more lockdowns, and a difficult winter for those in the Northern Hemisphere. So do download the Unfound app, join the global community. There's people on there, there's a community on there that are there for you if you uh, ever feel like... Chatting to a stranger or just looking at some good cycling content. We will be relaunching the weekly Unfound Zwift ride. I will post details on the hub as well in terms of when that will be probably Friday. But if you download the Unfound app or go to www.unfound.cc, all the details will be on there. We also do a video connection as well on Discord so you can video in. And it's just last lockdown, it was good to have a bit of a ride and have a chat with a few people from around the world. We did some A's actually, so we might look at redoing that again but it was all all good fun please do subscribe to the podcast make sure you tell all your cycling friends and leave a review and as mentioned just then do download the unfound app and tell your friends and help us grow the global cycling community anyway today I speak with Alex Ostroy. Alex is the founder of Ostroy, one of the coolest brands coming out of New York he's also the founder of one of the founders of NY Velo City. He's involved in the New York Grand Fondo. He designed their iconic kit. And we have a chat really about his background, his career as an illustrator and an artist, what he's done within the New York cycling scene, the amazing brand he's built with Ostroy, and the growth and success of New York Velo City, as I mentioned. And it's also its involvement in the Lance Armstrong outing. He's also been involved in some amazing community cycling projects, basically aimed at growing the sport in New York, including I Challenge Myself and ride upgrades we talk about all this and many other things he mentions a brilliant film which i'll also post in the show notes and on the hub called thursday uh, thursday fields which is a fantastic insight into the rating scene in brooklyn new york and it's a great insight into the community and and the world of new york cycling we are talking about potentially doing a collaboration with ostroy Alex has very kindly suggested of doing a limited run of 50 very cool t-shirts. So if you're interested, what I will do is post the information again on the hub. And if you just let us know if you'd be interested in getting, we're only going to do 50. So we first come first served, or you can email us at contact at unfound.cc. Uh, that's contact at unfound.cc. And uh, or drop us an email and let us know you want one. And we'll we'll be in touch about how we'll go about getting those made. We did have some transatlantic audio issues uh, on Alex's side throughout it. Tiny bits. It won't, won't disturb your listening. But yeah, it's a fascinating conversation. Well worth a listen. So without further ado, let me bring you Alex. Alex, thanks for joining us. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me, Julian. Uh, thanks for joining us. We've got loads to talk about today. I've noticed I've been editing a few of the past podcasts, and I've noticed I'm getting very English since my return to the UK, because I, I tend to start all the conversations off with, how's the weather? So I'm going to try and avoid that one today. How have you been? Have you been riding much? It is getting colder out there now, yeah? Yeah,
1: it's been a little bit unseasonably warm lately, but we're not looking forward to the winter here in New York, that's for sure. But cycling has definitely been savior for a lot of people in New yeah. York. And you know we've had this cycling boom since covid began because people obviously can't go to gyms and it's been
0: it's been great fantastic oh uh, uh, fantastic and that's you you can see that on the streets a lot more people out on bikes and i suppose like everywhere no one no bike shop can get a hold of any bikes that's the big issue now isn't it everyone's sold out
1: yes you you can't get a bike for under you know four thousand dollars Yeah. Not only are there more people on the on the streets commuting, but what's really heartening to see is that how many people have taken it up on the weekend recreationally, and in New sure. York City, that means going over the George Washington Bridge or to one of the parks. And going over yeah. the George Washington Bridge, that's a pretty big commitment for a ride. Yeah. So, you, you'll see people on hybrids and cruisers and things like that, you know, going for. 20, 30 mile rides over the bridge on the weekend. That's something that we really hadn't seen a lot of in years past.
0: So where, so you're, you're right on in Manhattan, aren't you in Chelsea? Where you mentioned going over the George Washington, bridge there. Where, talk us through your weekly sort of cycles. Where, where do you go? Do you have like a midweek route or are you always going out? Where, where are the sort of big cycling areas around the city? There
1: aren't a lot of big cycling areas in, in New York city proper. There are the parks and that yeah. means in Brooklyn. Prospect Park in Manhattan, of course, Central Park. And that's where I have been this year. I hadn't, um, the last few years, been riding there a lot, but it's sort of, it's all we have right now. So it's been a a refuge. So I've been meeting some old friends there uh, every day. Sometimes we just do a couple of very slow laps just to get out of the house, especially during uh, quarantine when they allowed us to to go for bike rides. It was one of the first things we were able to do. So we would get out yeah go around the park uh two or three times and just come home just to get out of the house and otherwise like i said uh george washington bridge
0: yeah very cool and and central park is massive right i mean how, how big is a loop of that 10k 10k okay cool yeah, yeah. And, they, and there's some racing in there when 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 we're, when we're in a normal world isn't there they do some i know they do some crits in prospect park don't they i've seen um yeah, a couple of users on our platform yeah
1: There are circuit races in both parks very, very early in the morning because that's the only time we have permission to do it. We're always sort of on – double secret probation to race where they say we're one accident away from them taking away racing for us forever but there is some racing if you get that you can see if you get up very very early in the morning
0: well look, let, let's go back to the beginning because you've you've done so much in cycling uh, where, where to start really because let's let's go back you, you rode as a kid I, yeah. I read an article somewhere where um you've, you've accomplished so much in cycling but you and i have in common that we're, we're both pretty average cyclists i hear Yep,
1: I was nothing special. I started riding. I grew up in Los Angeles, and I started riding because just to get around, really, my my parents weren't big on driving me places, and I think they wanted me to be more independent. So my dad actually started cycling because he's a professor at UCLA, and he had graduate students from Italy and France that were cyclists because there weren't a lot of them in Los Angeles at the time. Yeah. He got him into it. And so I saw him doing it and I thought, well, that'd be a good way to get around when I was 12 or 13 years old to, to get to my art classes and things after school. Yeah. And that's how, that's how I started. And then I got into it to the point where somebody directed me toward the the local club ride, which was the Lagrange ride. Um, so when I was Twelve years old, I did that ride for the first time, which was, you know, really eye-opening for uh, for a, for a kid. It was in the it was in the mountains, and there were a lot of um, native French-speaking cyclists on the on the ride, to, and they were all they were all very helpful in trying to, you know, and getting me into cycling, serving as my mentors.
0: And you were hooked from day one. After that,
1: I kept coming back didn't get much faster, but I kept coming back. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and and you mentioned sort of going to art classes after, after school, that's, that's your other big passion is your sort of creative and artistic side, right?
1: Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't great in school. It was the only thing I really could do well. So I, I, I took to it naturally and I just, you know, so after school there, there wasn't a lot of art programming in, in the public schools that I went to. So it was supplemented by going to uh, classes after school.
0: And, and then what, what came next? Obviously work, I suppose, but what, how did you end up sort of getting involved in everything that you've been involved in and what, what started it all off?
1: Yeah, it, it, it took a long time to sort of to get where I am now. I, I ended up going to Rhode Island School of Design and uh, it was very cold there in the winter. I didn't do a lot and I was concentrating on my studies, so I didn't really do a lot of riding there. And then after that, I moved to New York City. And I remember I I did not pack up my bike because at the time I assumed there was really not a lot of riding in New York. And I didn't ride my bike the first few years I was here. And then slowly, I, I got one at one point and started commuting. And before I knew it, I was in Central Park on the weekends and then racing. It wasn't a conscious plan. It just sort of it slowly happened and kind of hooked me back into it
0: yeah it just happened that way and that's cool and i mean to, what to give us a bit of time frame how, how long ago was that
1: that was uh, 1995 for something like that yeah it was a it was a while ago
0: yeah and as a community obviously you've got the the, the covid boom you mentioned but just since 94 has the, the the racing scene and the community grown significantly in that time
1: It's, I mean, I think it's changed. There are more members in the CRCA, the New York City, the main New York City cycling club, but not, I don't think there's a, there's a lot more. There's there, as I mentioned in that past interview, I wasn't here in the, in the eighties. I was in LA, but there were a lot more juniors. And that's the scene where George Hincapie and Mike McCarthy and Nelson Vales. And there were a lot of juniors that went on to great success in cycling and that wasn't just a coincidence they there were they had critical mass of kids to develop that kind of talent that's no longer here there's the crca junior program they're lucky to have eight kids whereas in the 80s they would sell out the races at 120 spots very quickly so that's changed so it's it hasn't just grown
0: everywhere that's interesting i mean what 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 do you think saw the sort of decline in, in sort of junior numbers.
1: You know, I uh, people ask that of me and, and other people often, and I, I've never heard a really convincing answer. It just – it's sort of – I think it just stopped capturing kids' imagination for whatever reason, and people uh, offer reasons like it's because bikes are so expensive or it's dangerous, but uh, they're no less expensive than they were in the 80s. Inflation adjusted, they're cheaper, and they're yeah. – there less bike accidents. So I don't, I, who knows? It just somehow failed to capture kids' imaginations anymore.
0: Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Because you think about obviously Le Monde in the 80s, but then it's such an incredible US success in Europe, particularly towards the end of the 90s and then into the sort the of 2000s. There'd be, you imagine there'd be huge, huge inspiration to get out and, and race bikes.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely it seems to have um, translated much better for middle aged men than it did for kids, all that success in, in the last 20 years. It inspired. A lot of middle-aged men, but not a lot of uh, teenagers.
0: Yeah. We'll, well, we'll come on to the the work that you're doing at the moment to to try and sort of rectify that. But so so where where did you go? Where did you go from there? You started racing, and then was it was it the website next, or you got in, involved in New York Grand Fondo next? What came next?
1: The website was probably next. Yeah. I was so at the time I was working it for advertising and design agencies. And I yeah. started doing illustration, and then eventually just became a, a full-time illustrator for magazines in New York, which was great. So my work wasn't associated with cycling at all, and then I was doing and then I was racing on and training racing on the weekends and training and so those two things were very separate This is before social media. My friend who had a, another cycling team, uh, Andy Shen was a photographer and he was taking pictures of the races and we were noticing that a lot of people were going to his team site and looking at the pictures, not just the people on his team. This is before uh, social media. So I yeah, said, yeah. make a, a website for all the teams and anybody interested in cycling in New York. And that's how N.Y. Vela City was born.
0: And, and that just exploded, right? I mean, it, not only within New York, sort of internationally as well.
1: well explode, I don't know, but it exploded. But it, it was, it became the site that everybody that was interested in road cycling in New York was was checking and commenting on. And then I think because people are interested in what's going on in New York, so cyclists from all over started to check us out. And then... It was really Andy and then Dan, my partners on the site, who did some, some interesting journalism that c- captured people's imaginations uh, or, or their attention because Velo News and bicycling and the mainstream cycling magazines really weren't talking about what was happening with drugs and with Armstrong and things like that, I mean, that, those were all their advertisers. So they didn't want to bite the hand that feded them. But we didn't; we weren't making any money, so we didn't care. So we did, and we got we got a lot of attention. And that's how we became friends with the cabal of people that were uh, against Lance, including the Andreos and the Lamans and Kimmage, and we, we became a little um, sort of a little refuge for refugees of Lance Armstrong
0: on our site. That's incredible yeah. how that came about because the thing certainly that's how I first sort of came came across the site probably in the sort of 2007 2008 2009 kind of kind of time. It was around there. Was, was that at, when it was at its height?
1: Probably yeah. It's funny it it, it grew and it grew and it grew and then once. Sort of after Lance and Oprah, it that was uh, I guess it sort of served its purpose and then yeah. since then it's wound down and also I, I realized you can only do something for so long if you're not making money at it. And it was about ten years, and we all enjoyed it, but at that point we we went on to do other projects.
0: yeah, it seemed like a natural conclusion so So what was next for you? Obviously still working at the time as well, right? I was still working
1: mostly in uh, magazine illustration and design.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I had a development team that grew out of the website, the NY Velocity team that was helping get in the same way that I had mentors in Los Angeles that brought a French cycling culture and taught me how to draft and train And cycling etiquette. We started a team like that in New York to teach people that were interested in getting into cycling. So then I started designing kits for that team, and that's how the the kit design started. I'd actually designed a few kits even before that, just as a as a designer and an artist. It it sort of uh, naturally came to me when they were handing out jobs. They're like, well, I guess you can design the the kits because that's what you do. Yeah, And then I started to for my own team. And then local bike shops soon after that asked me to do it.
0: And the rest is history, right? And so, so when did you actually launch the brand? The brand is
1: actually very recent. The brand, one thing this experience has taught me is the power of having a real business person to go into a venture like this with. Because the brand is really the brainchild of Aaron Vecchio. My partner, we—I would have probably just kept doing local uh, selling some stuff on my site, but mostly doing teams that called me and bike shop, local bike shops. I would not have had the imagination to grow it the way that he did. But he saw it and he said, "This is a business." He he was on the team a few years before, and he called me and he said, "I want to." He had made some successful. Investments, and he wanted to. He wanted to st- start a new business, and he said what he wanted to do was make cycling kits. I said you're crazy. There's no there's no money in that. It's you know what what are the odds of succeeding? Don't do it. And that was our first conversation. And then he called me back a week later. We had the same conversation. I said don't do it. And then he called me back again, and I said well okay I guess if you are he said he's going to do it anyway. I said okay if you if you really want to do it we have to completely commit to this and he did and he's turned out to be an incredible business partner and I I wish I, could, uh, I wish I could go back and realize that uh, the thing I learned was having somebody who really knows how to run a business is um, if you're a person that has a good idea or you're a good designer and it's it may seem a little counterintuitive to give away half of the money you're making to somebody like that but it's a i've learned that it's a really important um i had underrated it previously
0: absolutely well it's it's, it's like it's like people underestimating cycling right It's it's a team sport you need you need different skill sets to blend
1: Exactly, it's a it's a little counterintuitive at first. Uh, I did. I I was incorporated. I was paying my taxes. It's not like I wasn't. I wasn't trying to run a business, but I I didn't know what I was doing. Obviously, after I saw it the way he was doing it.
0: Well, you got some really cool stuff on there. We'll we'll put the link to the site astroi.com in, into the show notes so people can check it out. But some some really unique kits in there, which obviously your which is your artistic side, which are, which are very very cool. And you got some like you got some streetwear as well, haven't you, and some cool caps and stuff like that and all sorts of bits and pieces.
1: Yeah, you know, it's really grown out of living in New York for the, for the last 30 years. And what attracted to me in New York to begin with is all of my artistic heroes in art in the east village keith herring and basquiat and then before them de kooning and pollock and gustin and you know all the lineage of great new york art is what attracted yeah. me to come here in the galleries and the museums so that's what i really wanted to reflect in my kits you know i wasn't especially in the 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 art of the 80s that had a lot of subversive wit. That kind of grew out of punk rock and the post Warhol generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a lot of potential there that really wasn't being used in cycling kits. So I wanted to see if, if I could, if I could bring some of that energy to cycling.
0: And it's different because you, see, I mean, you see, you see a lot of clips which which are um, sort of similar palettes, and everyone's going for a similar look. And, and what I like about your stuff is that it is so different, and it is. Very New York as well. Uh, well, I, I mean, as someone that doesn't live in New York, it feels like it's a, it's a very kind of New York vibe. You've really captured that in the kit.
1: Right. I mean, that's that's what we're trying to do. That was the idea of it, at least to begin with.
0: Cool. Well, I, I've got my eye on the uh, I would, but I'm riding that day sweatshirt.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, I think, you know, some of that, again, some of that kind of subversive wit that, that we see in New York street culture we wanted to bring the cycling. Uh, we did have a lot of that in NY Velo city as well that we saw that. I think people really appreciated in cycling. I think it's more, it's more common now after social media. One of the, one of the really big differences is somebody's. I remember following cycling in the eighties and it was hard enough to keep track of, you know, who had won what big race.
0: So yeah, of course, yeah.
1: I was a fan of, sean kelly and obviously lamond but i didn't really know anything about them yeah. Let, alone, yeah, yeah let alone the domestiques yeah so you know now even for a niche sport like this it's so much easier to follow and then you know there's inside jokes just didn't exist in the 80s in cycling especially about something like a, a european cyclists or anything like that and now of course they're you know memes. There, there are so many of them.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and I think I think the pro sport itself is 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 sort of finally cottoning on to the fact that you know TV and column inches and newspapers are are the past. And actually, I think the fans want that accessibility and it's that relatability to to the pros as well. I think that's uh, really cr- creating quite a, a unique feel.
1: Exactly. You can you can you feel like you know their personalities a little bit more. And again, as an American following the sport, you, you never had any sense of who they were in the past. I just remember Greg LeMond's smile on the on the when you saw him in pictures in cycling magazines. He definitely had a charisma that kind of reminded me of Magic Johnson or someone like that. But that's really all I knew about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly that. And um, t- talk us through New York Grand Fondo and how did you, how how are you involved in that? Because I think I mean, did you do the kit as well? Was that was that your design? Yeah, we've done the kit for the last ten years. Have huh? you? Because that Grand Fondo kit has become quite iconic in its own way, right?
1: Yeah. I w- what happened was. The, the husband and wife, Uli and Lydia Flume, who started the Grand Fondo, I was friendly with and I was riding with after the first one. I didn't do actually I didn't do the first two years and they were they were still searching for ideas for designs. And I told him on a ride. It just sort of occurred to me that the problem was they just had too many too many colors that they didn't need to they didn't need more they needed less. They needed yeah. to just keep their their green to be iconic and just use black and every year we've just introduced a new way of the black and the green being a different kind of geometric pattern together. And that's what, yeah. that's what we did. It was funny. It was one of those things during a ride, I, I just had this idea and it just turned out that, um, that it worked and that it, the, the idea, I, I didn't change it much for the for the next seven years.
0: Oh, amazing. And it's, and it's become yeah quite synonymous with, they, they've got those, um, New York Grand Fondo events around the world now, haven't they? I saw there was one in Indonesia, even, I think that they've kind of, they've kind of grown them, haven't they?
1: There's about 17 of them. they are franchises. Oh.
0: The franchises, I didn't realize that and and your kit has probably got a lot to do with that because it's sort of developed the brand didn't it that color scheme
1: I mean I hope it helped but I think it was really their the ability to organize an event and also just the idea of it, it was very well run so just like any franchise you know what you're signing up for you don't have to worry about it you know that it's going to be professional and smoothly run you're going to be taken care of the rest stops will be well stocked and all that stuff, you know, that, that's sort of the power of their brand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. i I've got a friend of mine from, from Asia who flew over to New York to do the New York grand Fondo probably about three or four years ago. And he was, he was staying with family. And because of the jet lag, he, he woke up uh, too early, mis- misread the time and mm-hmm. then got changed, realized that it was the wrong time. So then went back to bed, woke up again, realized he was late, got changed in a massive hurry, jumped onto the subway and then when he was on the subways, he looked in the uh, in the reflection of the subway window and realized that <laughs> it is rushed to get changed for the second time. He put his bibs on inside out (laughs) and he was absolutely mortified. So he's going to love the fact I've told the story. I won't mention his name, but um, tell us what you're doing from a, from a community perspective now in terms of obviously you've, you've grown the team and you've got a a lot of sort of, as you mentioned, middle-aged people out riding their bikes, but you're now refocusing on, on trying to grow the junior side of things, aren't you?
1: I've I've partnered with, I I was thinking after I saw how much, the confidence improved of the young professional New Yorkers who, you know, yeah. most most of whom, a, a lot of them went to good colleges, so and had, um, you know, they came here and they were very successful in their careers, and so they started already with plenty of confidence. But still, you're a little insecure about trying something new like cycling. And I saw how much it could improve their confidence. I thought, well, what's this going to do for a kid? You yeah, absolutely. Know? So I thought about starting a program like that of my own. But somebody introduced me to Anna Reyes of I Challenge Myself, a mutual friend. And they said, look, you you can try to start something for your own. But trust me, she's going to do it. She's already doing it way better than you could. That was true. So I I, I came to her and I said, how, how can I help? And she said, well, you can you can come on some of the rides, but probably raising money at that point was the best way I could contribute. This is about 15 years ago. So that's what I started doing. so we had so we just sort of used our cycling connections to have events like Greg Lemond came, George Hincapie came, Cadell Evans, different people wow. that we could connect with and we would just sell tickets to rides as well as having roller races and eBay resales where people would contribute stuff and we'd sell them. So we were able to, to raise money and she's expanded the program to schools all over New York and underserved neighborhoods. And it's been amazing. So the program originally just challenged kids to ride a hundred miles. So if you can imagine your 16 year old growing up in Washington Heights or 14, 15, 16, you, you barely know how to ride a bike. Many of them have never been to Central Park, which is three miles away. And you, yeah. and you, you come to this new class and they say, okay, in six months, you're going to ride a hundred miles on your bike. It's just my, they're, I can't do that. You know, that that's their first response. That's insane. Right. But then of course, after they train them and they do it, it really does blow their mind and open up the possibilities. It's like, well, if I could do that, what, what can't I do? So then they started a college bike tour to, a lot of these kids are the first kids in their family to go to college, so they yeah. want to make them feel comfortable and we combined in cycling with that too and there's a, so Anna has really grown the program and she has ambitions to make it a national program now, which I think is amazing. very exciting
0: yeah amazing and and how can people sort of support that that cause either from fundraising or, or volunteering or what what where where where's the project at the moment
1: i challenge myself.org is the website
0: okay cool we'll, we'll put that in in the show notes and i mean have they been what, what's happened during this year since march have they sort of is everything on hold at the moment or are they still trying to get things going no i
1: mean not for this year they're planning for for next year but yeah. they're you know they're coaching the kids or they're teaching the kids like everybody else remotely, but they obviously can't assemble in groups and ride, and they haven't been going to school, so they haven't been riding there. So everything is on hold with that, but it has been a good time to try to make some plans for the for the
0: future. Yeah, and what are the what, obviously that you mentioned rolling it out nationally, but what are the sort of upcoming things for the for the program next year and into 2022? I mean.
1: I think it all it sort of remains to be seen. We don't really know. Right? I mean, we're, we're hoping we can just continue the program next year.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, cool. That's,
1: that's a of tough course. one. It, it's like racing next year. You know, people are curious about that, but nobody can really answer when we're going to start racing here next year either.
0: Yeah I think that's the same in a lot of places it's all just a bit of wait and see what happens really get through the winter and, and see how we, how we how we go I suppose it's uh it's, it's mad times isn't it but um glad to hear that, that the numbers are, are picking up in terms of general participation with, with regards to the program obviously sort of giving people the opportunity to, to get on bikes and, and increasing participation for, for young people in New York. Have you, uh, have you subsequently seen more juniors getting into to racing again? Have you seen that growth or that transition?
1: I haven't. I mean, it would be hard to say because I can't go to an, a race or an event to see. I haven't seen a lot more over the bridge. However, yeah. I have seen a lot more women a lot more people of color. A lot, a lot of people that you wouldn't expect to be, you know, not just hardcore cyclists, like I said before. But it's a, it's a very diverse group that I see on the weekends, going over the bridge. And just in the last month, we started a, a new women's development team. Well, oh, amazing. It wasn't a conscious thought, uh, you, you know, five or six weeks ago. It sort of sprung up from the blue. But we have. Uh, about 90 women on a list now interested and we're getting 30 uh, 30 or more on a weekends that we're dividing into groups that are coming out that want to start riding and potentially racing this is all very new it's very exciting so this is just right. showing- this, this is all since this is all since march is it no this is This is the last four weeks, Jules. Oh wow, that's incredible! That's
0: wicked! That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I I went. There were a lot of these groups that started of women starting to ride together. All most of them beginners and things like that. So we were wondering, well, maybe a we we went to check out a group to see maybe if a couple of them wanted to race. And a few of them rode up to us, and so I was with a, a couple of men and a couple of women riding around Prospect Park. And they saw that we were in, you know, we were in racing kits with racing bikes, and they asked about racing. And they and I, so we said, "Well, if you really want to, if you want to race, let's start a a women's racing team." So they said, "I w- I met one woman who turned out to be a great organizer, and that's how it started." And that was. It's hard to. It's strange to uh, to think that that was only five weeks ago because so much has happened since then.
0: And it's snowboarding. That's super cool to to hear. And and have you still got your team going as well? I do.
1: Yeah. I do. So I've been neglecting because <laughs> they're, they're not racing. They're not. Uh, they're not training in as an organized way. The season's over now anyway. Even if it was a regular season. So I've been really putting more attention into trying to bootstrap this woman's team. And it's just yeah. so, I mean, it's sort of the silver lining in New York, at least for COVID and the bike boom is trying to get different people involved with cycling. It's a, it's an opportunity that we don't want to miss. So to that end, my uh, friend, Aliyah, who does, who was a coach at I challenge myself started a program called ride upgrades and that is a program to get kids on bikes, to get kids and families commuting in underserved neighborhoods, but also to get kids that are already interested in cycling the opportunity to race. So we've oh, already, so Trek has been very generous with us. They gave they already gave one of our students uh, a racing bike that a somebody that we chose as a scholarship winner. So he can start racing as soon as he can start racing. But he's very excited mm-hmm. to do it. He's been training with the team. And we also have a fleet of uh, demonis that we're going to use for a, a summer program. Yeah, it was pretty funny. We, uh, we went to the Trek store to get the to give our scholarship recipient his bike. And they took us downstairs into the basement. And they showed us 10 aluminum domanis just sitting there, which, uh, you know, w- w- was like, how is this even possible? These were brand new bikes. We didn't know they yeah. were for us. We said, uh, so no these are, you know, $1,000 bikes. Yeah. 10 of them." So That's we're amazing. like, what That's is amazing. this? What, what's going on here? How can you have, you know, 10 reasonably priced bikes, pristine, sitting in your basement, not sold? It was like a, you know, it just didn't even seem real. And they said- yeah actually those are for you and they did have a lot of trouble procuring them but they it was incredibly generous of them but they did
0: Uh, and for for people listening if if there's anyone listening in 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 new york who's new to cycling or or uh wants to get involved how can they how can they find everything that you're doing because you're doing so much sort of different community stuff is is that all on the one website or what where where can people find for,
1: for kids there's ride upgrades .org. For adults, I would say a good resource is the New York Cycle Club (NYCC.org) or the if you would like, if you want to race, a good place to start is CRCA. You can look that up. I think it's .org or net. Those aren't those aren't my obviously. Those are just things that I'm involved in. They aren't. They aren't. Uh, I don't own them or anything.
0: No, oh, of course, of course. But you, you, you're clearly incredibly passionate about gr- growing the sport and and in growing the inclusivity of the sport as well. And that's that that's you know the world needs people like yourself that doing this and giving the time and stuff. Like, what what advice can you give to people around the world and different cities that that want to create or help the community or help grow the community? What what lessons have you learned on your journey? Uh,
1: I think that you know I think there are people like me all over in different communities that just, you know, they just want to pass on the religion basically and get other people involved with it. Right. It's no different than, than any, uh, any other hobby or thing that people are passionate about. I think the best way, to, you know, you just, it's difficult to do at times because you don't want to come off as a, as preachy or go, you can't, I think some people, if you go up to somebody on a bike ride and tell them what they're doing wrong, obviously that can be off-putting.
0: help. <laughs> yeah.
1: You yeah. got to no, no, get course. the and yelling at them too is is also can be off putting. So you, you know you you have to get the you have to get a point. You have to be in in a context where people are interested in hearing what you have to say. Right. And that's a that's a question i don't. you know how do you start i
0: don't know. <laughs> it's kind of happened yeah i mean do you, do you think i mean historically you say you, you sort of got into cycling in the mid-90s was there a bit of a, a sort of a stigma around uh road cycling in terms of what was it a, a little bit closed is it has it become more open in new york now more approachable more inclusive have you seen that transition
1: well, it's funny because when I grew up, of course, cycling, there was I, – I actually grew up right near Palms Park, which was a place BMX was invented. So I started on B, doing BMX and then transitioned to the road like a lot of kids do. But, of course, that was the only cycling there was besides commuting and touring. Yeah. So it wasn't now the whole antagonism between uh, gravel and – uh, mountain biking and you know all of these different sects it just didn't exist cycling was was just cycling yeah. so it's it's new to me it's sort of new to me i the, the the snobbishness of the the road cyclists
0: yeah well maybe that might be a, a, a european thing over here but I th- to your point i think it's changing back to when you got into cycling right i think i think it's just becoming cycling again in terms of uh just opening up and i think when you when you've got like pro riders who are competing at a an elite level across mountain bike and cross and road it kind of just blurs all these barriers and and that's a great thing i think it's good for the sport
1: agreed agreed i don't think though i would have to say hopefully maybe in a year or two because of the bike boom we'll see more uh, diversity in cycling there is a lot in new york Uh, a friend of mine did a great film about floyd bennett field racing in brooklyn and that's kind of the the subtext of it they it's called Thursday Night Fields. His name is Harry Zernicky, and they have—he interviews a bunch of people in the race, and they're really people from all over the world, from janitors to Wall Street traders, and it shows how they all come together and you know they get along great and compete with one another, and it's. It's really much a microcosm of New York and New York cycling.
0: And that's what's so great about cycling, right? You're just on your bike, and it doesn't matter who you're with. It's just, you're just cyclists together. That's what I love about it so much. Is, is that is that film on – how do we find that film? Is that on YouTube, or how do we find that?
1: It was at festivals, but now you can watch it Thursday. No, so I
0: put it in the show notes. I put it in the show notes for, uh, for people to watch on, on Vimeo. If you look up on Vimeo. Vimeo
1: yields on Vimeo you can see it all there it really is it even if you, it's so good even if you don't like cycling you can you can act, you can watch it with your wife or husband who isn't a cyclist and they will actually enjoy it it's really about I people it is about cycling. It's really excellent. Well, but it's the best introduction uh, I can think of. Sorry to uh, to New York City cycling.
0: Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. That I, I love seeing uh, different cycling communities around the world. I think that's pretty cool. So I will definitely be checking that out. We'll put that put that in the show notes. So what w- what else has been going on your end in, in recent times, other than sort of <laughs> a million different projects and stuff? What what what's going on work wise for you at the moment?
1: Yeah, you make my life sound so exciting. All I all I do is is sit here and, and work and draw. And then once in a while, I I go out for a bike ride. I mean, we're still not doing much else. But I have to say, in my case, that probably isn't different than most years, sadly.
0: (laughs) Excuse me. Alex, I've got to ask you. I mean, do you you cycle all year round in New York? We
1: do. Um, A lot of people will. I think everybody sort of has a, a temperature in mind. And I came from Los Angeles. So I remember the first time. I rode a bike in central park when it was under 30 degrees i just remember stepping out in the street and starting to ride just thinking like is this possible you know will i sort of fall off the end of the earth i i didn't and then it turned out to be okay it wasn't that windy and it was kind of sunny that day so i i realized it didn't have to be that bad although many subsequent rides when it was much colder and windier and wetter I you know it was pretty miserable but now that I'm a little bit older I don't I don't really train like that anymore I'm happy to just do uh 45 minutes inside and call it a Except day the
0: turbo. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah we've also seen in in New York as I'm sure all around the world especially in colder climates the the effect of Zwift has definitely made people's whatever temperature they have in mind for being the temperature which they will no longer go outside has come up quite a bit.
0: And it'll be interesting to see how Zwift evolves, right? I mean, obviously, the the, the cost of the, of the kit can be expensive. But I think that in terms of growing the sport and growing confidence, to your point, I think Zwift's a great way of getting people into cycling
1: yeah yeah it's done very well
0: uh, i mean when i was in new york last november i think it was the coldest november i landed in i was there the, like the coldest day since records started I, I could not get over how it's like it's, a, it's like a it's a dry cold isn't it it's, it's so cold i couldn't believe people cycled in it that's why i asked the question
1: yeah believe me i could you know again where where you live i would have considered very cold you know when i was growing up so no, it, yeah, yeah. It's taken me a long time to realize that you know that you you won't uh, turn into dust or something or freeze solid by riding outside if it's a less than freezing out. But I, I have acclimated. I mean, I I figure I I did a post about this last year that the only thing worse than getting up and riding when it's cold in the winter is you know not riding at all because. Yeah. It's never as. By the time you get back, you're kind of glad you did it. Now, of course, that's oh, to me. You know that probably goes down to about uh, 25 degrees here. I'm not saying that would be true if it was if it was 10 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: <laughs> yeah there's a, there's always a limit. And um obviously you're so synonymous with the the UK cycling uh, sorry the the New York cycling scene. H- have you done a lot of cycling elsewhere in the US? Where where else is sort of awesome to go ride your bike? I ha-
1: I you know Arizona is great, San Diego, all over Cal- northern California is great. I like I, I love riding in Palm Springs. I have a new appreciation for Los Angeles which I, I go back at every year from New York in the winter. As you can imagine, I have an incredible appreciation for riding there. I've ridden a lot in uh, in Connecticut, in New you know, in New Upstate, New England. I've never I've never ridden uh, across the country, or, or uh, I have never, and I have not ridden in Florida. So I guess I'm not. Um I didn't I didn't I didn't race. I didn't go on tour when I raced. So.
0: And your favorite favorite place in, in the US to ride? I, it's that same bike ride. My favorite ride
1: is the Lagrange Sunday Nichols Canyon ride, cool. yeah. which I've been doing for 40 years now.
0: Yeah. And 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 have you been following the the racing since it kicked off in Europe?
1: I have a little bit. I haven't been following the Giro enough. I did watch the the Tour de France, uh, which I enjoyed. It, it you know every time that you see anything semi return to normalcy it, it is almost like a hopeful thing you know it, absolutely even, yeah. even here when restaurants started to open a little bit or when one of the vacant commercial spaces gets filled in new york you know, it always kind of does my heart a little bit of good to just see that it's a little bit of hope
0: yeah yeah we'll get through it, i'm sure i think actually cycling's done brilliantly in terms of the amount of events that they've been able to put on and and finish uh, given given how challenging it's been
1: yeah we did have to cancel a few of our events in new york city because there are they do draw Large crowds, especially to register, but cycling. But at the same time, cycling has grown, so it's been a mixed bag. You know, the
0: bike stores have uh, done
1: well in some ways and poorly in other ways. As have as has our our business, Ostroy. Yeah, we've had trouble with manufacturing, like a lot of people, and supply fabric and trims and things like that in Italy. Obviously, closing down where we have a lot of our manufacturing done. So we haven't had a lot of demand, but we often do not have much to sell. That's so frustrating. Yeah.
0: Are you all back on track with that now? Is that all sort of settled a little bit?
1: You know, we're still not 100% back on track, but we're close. We can definitely see, see the end coming soon where we'll be able to easily get back on stock. All the factories are back up, but it was just the interruption a few months ago just causes ripple effects that have still been hurting the businesses like not just in uh, sportswear but all kinds of manufacturing have been disrupted and when just starting up the factory doesn't always solve all the problems
0: yeah yeah it's difficult isn't it it's uh, the knock-on effect is, is 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 staggering but but once you're, you're back up into full production what, what's the plan for Australia? what have you got new new designs coming out what's the plan for 2021
1: yeah, we we're always working on new designs. We've got uh, we actually have some cargo bibs coming out soon. We have we have some winter tights and knickers coming out. Um, those are both made in uh, Italy using some great Italian fabrics that we've sourced. We have uh, and we always have New Jersey designs coming out. I just figure it's it's sort of our best. Marketing just to come out with a new jersey. Uh, I think it, it, we've sort of, like the rest of fashion, where seasonal uh, fashion releases have are no longer really the best way to to introduce your clothing to buyers or to the public. I think it's what we found is just introducing things one at a time and staggering them that way so that each thing can get a little bit of attention and we can see if it finds a market or not because if we release 10 things it would all get lost in the noise at the same time so it's you know we're just sort of releasing if i have an idea i draw it up we'll make a jersey uh we'll put it on one of our friends take a picture Put it on our instagram and say, hey does anyone like this and if they do we'll make some <laughs> really but that's what our company that that's sort of our procedure after uh two years of doing this
0: well uh, and you ship worldwide don't you we do and we
1: have yeah. passport shipping now which is a big improvement which allows you to put in where you are, and it tells you exactly how much money it will cost, including the customs and shipping. And the shipping is actually cheaper because it aggregates the shipping. For different shipping companies, it's, it's cheaper than it would be if you just went FedEx or DHL.
0: Oh, Wicked. Cool. So, cool. Well, excellent. That, 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 I, I, I recommend everyone go check those designs out because they're they're Wicked. It's a cool kit and it's uh, it's very unique and it's, it's uh, very New York and it's a, it's a cool brand. Thank you. Excellent. Look, it's been a pleasure to chat. Thank yeah. you for taking the time. Really good overview into into the New York cycling scene and, and obviously Australia brand, brand as well. Will you keep us in the loop in terms of how you're getting on and, and we'll catch up again soon? Will do, Julian. Thanks. It was great talking to you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on The Hub. We'll see you on there.